We are continuing our exploration and our harvesting out of Psalm 119. And we've, we've looked very briefly, I mean, it is brief, we're, we're just getting a little bit of what's available here. And I hope, I hope many of you have continued to do the homework uh, that you continue to go through Psalm 119 on your own and that you're looking at what are the choices and attitudes that God is is presenting to us through this psalm, our choices and attitudes toward the Word of God. Uh, what actions flow from this passage for our hearts toward the Word of God? And then also recognizing what uh, promises, what outcomes flow from pursuing the Word of God with those choices and those attitudes. So we're continuing, again, just to look a little bit at that together, but I really hope, genuinely, I, I would strongly encourage you, and I hope you're digging into more detail on your own during the week, that, that you're not just content with what we can cover in a few minutes here on Sunday, but that you're spending more time with God on your own in this passage. So, I want us to look, we, we looked last week at just a small handful of the attitudes of heart, uh, of the mindset that God calls us towards the Word of God. And today I want us to specifically look at a few of the choices and the actions that God is calling us to choose in reference to His Word. And to see some things that flow from that, in fact. So, jumping right into it, Psalm 119, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So, we'll look at this. I'm going to put a few words up there and we'll look at them. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. And he repeats walk again in verse 3. And then in verse 4 he says that we should keep them diligently. And back to that heart issue of, of attitude. Uh, we're not looking at it right now, but it's worth sort of storing that away. That he's saying keep them diligently. And that's different than a legalistic keeping. So one of the things that Jesus constantly dealt with with the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of his day, is they kept the law, but they were they were missing the whole heart of the law. They were just doing the minimal, uh, and even when they went to the detail, they said, you guys even tithe out of the herbs in your garden. That's how legalistically precise you are. Well, if I got a, a bushel of, what's an herb? Parsley, there you go. It's always the it's the little green thing on the serving suggestion picture of, of anything you buy, that little sprig to the side. That's your parsley. If you had a whole bushel of parsley, now you're gonna take one tenth of a bushel bushel and make sure you give it to God. And he says you're taking care of that, but now the matters of the heart where God is throughout his word, he's commanded love, he's commanded delight and devotion to him, and then he's commanded compassion and love toward those around you. That was in the Old Testament. God didn't make up love in the New Testament. 
He had been declaring that all along. And they were ignoring that to just do the slice that they could pretend without their heart involved. And so diligently means I bring all of me to the task, but it also means I pay attention to all of it. I don't just pick the parts that are easy for me or that, are, that I'm already a part of. I keep looking for more and more application of this word. And he goes down and he says this. Um, well, we'll get, actually, let me stop with these for a minute. Because these talk about diligently doing. So the passage that was read for us just a little bit ago, that recognition of, of don't be just people who hear the word, but be effectual doers of the word. And that's a theme all through scripture. We're, we're in Psalm 1. In fact, go with me to Psalm 1. We'll, we'll bump into this a couple of times today. But in Psalm 1, let me get there. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but in his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And that recognition that he's chosen to walk, that he's not walking with the world, he's walking with God. And we have out of, out of uh, Ephesians 4.1, passage that many of you many of you are familiar with, where Paul is challenging the Ephesians and he says, now walk in a manner worthy of your high calling. And so part of our pursuit of being in the word of God is, Father, help me to develop a coherent vision of your calling for my life, which is again different than just saying, I just want a list of a few good things to do and maybe a few bad things to avoid, and then I can check off that I've done them. But instead, Father, help me to grow a coherent vision of your incredible calling for my life. And now I choose my daily walk. I raise my daily walk to fit more and more and more as I grow that majestic calling. And obviously that majestic calling is the life of Christ. That you and I are not busy doing Christianity. You and I are not called to do the religion of Christianity. Christianity is our growth into the life and the character and the purposes and the passions, the loves, the joys, the, the purposes of Jesus Christ now through you and I. And we can say those words and they could just be sort of a, a doctrinal concept. But this walking and observing and keeping, again, it's a diligent doing. Uh, what was that passage? James. that we're pursuing a consistent doing. And it means I'm listening better than just intellectual. We've talked about this. Every time we talk about the Word of God, I think we, we talk about this, that we go to the Word of God as a real conversation. 
but it's a father-son, father-daughter conversation. And that means we give God permission. Father, I started this conversation with you by opening the word, but you started the conversation by presenting and creating and preserving and bringing me the word. This was all your idea. Now help me bring an attitude that I'm ready to listen. And that means you can change my attention. You can direct my attention to a thing that I wasn't even thinking about when I opened the word. And I, I know I've said this repeatedly, but even if you're just reading a chapter before you go to bed at night, and you're just saying, well, I, you know, I wanna get through this book or I wanna get through these chapters, and there's value to that. But that your heart attitude and my heart attitude would be, but Father, this is a conversation. You have my permission to get my attention to something I wasn't even thinking about when I opened this word. To suddenly show me a relationship or an action or an attitude that you want to address and change and grow. And I'm listening. Now, go back to Psalm 119. We see a couple of other passages here. You drop down to verse 7. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. And there's, there's a couple of things in there. I think we talked about the gratitude last week. But I'm going to learn something. And keep that in mind. Drop down to verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And both of these carry the concept and carry, in fact, the requirement that if I'm really praying, if I'm bringing these choices to the Word of God, I'm here to learn and I'm asking you to teach me. This is not a real rocket science application here. It means I'm teachable. It means I'm humble enough to recognize I still have more to learn and I'm committed to grow. Teach me and help me learn. And, and again, this is just such a simple thing for us, but it's worth recognizing. I want to keep, I want to keep checking in with God. Father, am I teachable? One of the, one of the things that I think is is worth recognizing, we can, we can keep learning information about the Bible. You know this. We can keep learning doctrine. We can keep learning information. We can memorize more passages. One of the things I really feel blessed by, and I, and I hope many, if not all of you, have experienced this. I feel like I've been blessed through the years to have many men and women who are really just rock solid in the Word of God to teach me and encourage me. I've been blessed by that. And, and again, the ones who got it, lived it. But I've also seen, and, and I'm sad over this, that I've seen a small handful of people, unfortunately in my course of life, it is a small handful of people who knew the word backwards and forwards. Sometimes they were the smartest person in the room with the word. And there was no love or grace in their life, or at least very little. Or it was very particular. They would be loving and graceful for this group while they're very unloving and ungraceful with that group. Or sometimes with their own wife or their own husband or their own children. So they could get up and teach a class 
and, and be profoundly knowledgeable, but they weren't really teachable and humble and committed to grow because it was just information in their head being shared with us in words. And that you and I get to have again that, that humility before God of Father. I want my wife, my husband, my children, my circle of fellowship, my parents, I want the people around me to observe me growing through the years and particularly, oh, this is hard, particularly growing in ways that bless them. So if all they see is that I grow in knowledge and they're not blessed, something's missing from my growth. It doesn't mean that knowledge isn't valuable. It doesn't mean what I've gained from the word. I know I've shared this before that during, during the five and a half years when I was involved in pursuing the occult, after I was a believer, five and a half years wasted in pursuing dark teaching and, and demonic teaching. And yet during that five and a half years, I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by also good teachers, so I kept gathering the word. But I wasn't living it. And the grace of God is he says, well, someday we're going to harvest something from that. So it wasn't wasted to gather it, but the heart of God was saying, but I can't wait till you're ready to enjoy it. I can't wait till you're ready to digest it and let it come out. I can't wait till this is a real thing between you and I and not just head knowledge. So as we come to the word of God, every time we come to the word of God, and again, even if it's just for, uh, you know, my favorite example is, I remember somebody came to me and I can't remember who it was, doesn't matter. And they said, what does the Bible teach about giants? Well, that's a really interesting thing. At least I think it is. So I had fun going to the Word of God and gathering a bunch of stuff for this person about what God teaches about giants. And right in the middle of my search about giants, it was almost like God sort of like cracked me lightly, gently, but firmly up the side of the head and said, well, that's cool what you just saw about giants. Did you see what I said right before I talked about the giants? And it was something I needed for my life. It was encouragement about the power and authority of God over evil. And I needed to hear that. Giants were a manifestation of evil for a period of time. And David and his cohorts overcame that. And I don't have physical giants to deal with. And you don't have physical giants. Not that I know of anyway. But maybe you do. But, but what we absolutely have are giant forces of darkness arrayed against us. And we need to know that God who can slay a giant through a teenage boy because he's trusting God is the same God, literally the exact same God with the same heart toward you that he had toward David, who's ready to help us slay our giants, who's ready to help us put evil forces running from the name of Jesus Christ. And not because we have a formula, but because we know the man and we fight in him and he fights in us. And that there's, there's victory in that. And I needed to see that right in the middle of my search for giants. And by the way, we'll, we will probably never have a sermon on giants, but they'll come up every now and then. It's a really bizarre part of scripture. But that recognition that this gets to be a heart, even when we're looking for something or doing something else. 
if you go to verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might may not sit against you. And some of you have a translation, King James does it, it says hid. I think there's one translation that says stored away. And, and all of those words flow from the Hebrew that's, word, that's used here. Because it, it conveys this sense of I, I go to the word and I gather things and their treasure and I store them but I'm not hiding them like digging a hole in the ground and hiding them away. I'm storing them up to be used. I'm literally preparing for a rough moment. So one thing Carrie and I were glad that we had done through this ice storm is we were glad that we had treasured away a bunch of five gallon jugs of water. We were also glad, I don't know if I can say this publicly, but I will. We were also glad that our, her little exercise pool had enough water to flush many toilets. We chose which one carefully to drink from. We, we drank from the jugs. But that recognition that we had just stored something away, and I don't know what happened, when, but something in the past had said, be ready, well, we live sort of in the boonies, we're on a well, and if there's ever a power, power problem, our pump bringing water from whatever it is, 650 feet underground, won't bring us water. Hence the five gallon jumps. We were treasuring away water for a day of need. And that's the idea that's, that's here. It's, I'm not storing away the word of God just to have it. I'm storing it because one day it will be treasure for me. And I like what it says. We're not, we're not getting there yet, but he says, that I'll not sin against you. So again, it's treasured for a purpose. It's not treasured for its own sake. I know that there, even again, during my, my five and a half years of darkness, I, I was memorizing scripture. I was being a good, I don't know, Sunday school kid. I was memorizing scripture, but I wasn't treasuring it. I was just sticking it in my brain. That's not what this passage is about. It means I'm treasuring it for a purpose. And I'm recognizing this word will be the power and authority I need at some crucial moment to defeat sin. When the enemy comes to me with an old lie, that I go, you know what, enemy? I've been learning some truth that exposes that lie. You don't get an easy win anymore on this. That there is now a preparation for battle, a preparation for victory that might not have been there before if we hadn't hidden away, treasured and stored up the word of God for a moment of purpose and need. Now, and I, I know that everybody has different, tra I mean, different uh, challenges, different battles. So part of it for you, very, very genuine, part of it for you would be to ask, what battles do I fight? Where does the enemy get me? Where does the enemy fool me? Where does the enemy discourage me or bring me down? Where does the enemy too easily pull me into sin?
Where does the enemy make me doubt something about God or his love or his promises? Where does the enemy get me to doubt my authority or my privilege or my place and my position in Christ? Where does the enemy get away with that stuff? Then I need to gather truth that fits my battle. If you battle anger, man, start gathering about 50 different passages of truth where God tells you how to address anger, overcome anger, where he tells you his heart toward anger, toward, toward anger that reigns. If your battle is with fear, if your battle is with lust, if your battle is with selfishness, there, there is a ton of ammunition to gather for those moments of battle. And then to say, I'm going to get ready. This is real simple. A five-year-old kid can do what we're talking about. A 95-year-old man or woman can do what we're talking about. To say, I'm going to figure out where I'm weak. I'm going to figure out where my battles are. And I'm going to start treasuring, storing away, hiding for the appropriate my word, yeah, hit. I thought I left out the E, but it's a past tense. So that recognition, I want to store up and have it ready for use because I'm going to have a battle where I defeat the enemy because I've prepared. Drop down to verse 13. With my lips, I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. So somehow, as you and I are approaching the Word of God with, with the heart and the mind and the attitude of, of disciples and of sons and daughters of God, God's putting another concept in their minds. But He really is saying, are you getting this stuff? Do you love this stuff? Are you gathering this? Tell someone about it. Share it with someone. And that, that's the simplest way of thinking it is share it. Paul talks about, in, in Philippians 4, I'm sorry, let me think, let me think. In Philippians 3, in Philippians 3, 1, sorry, too many, too many things bouncing. In Philippians 3, 1, where he says, you know, I've already written this stuff to you, but I'm going to remind you again. He shares stuff they already know back and forth. And then later he challenges Timothy with the same thing. He says, now remind others of what they already know. Remind them. So you and I aren't sharing things that maybe nobody else has heard, or you're not taking something necessarily to a brother or sister that they've never heard before. But you're recognizing, as we, as we have talked about several times, the Holy Spirit gets to speak through you and tell someone what they need to need, what they need to hear at the moment they need to hear and I would say most of the time, and some of you have really experienced this, most of the time, it's almost amazing and we won't know, why is the Holy Spirit prompting me to share that? Hey, you know what I was reading on Monday and I heard this thing in the Word really encouraged me and you share it with somebody. And maybe they come back to you later and go, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And even if they don't come back, now you've put something in their hands, you've put something in their mind, you've stirred up a fresh remembrance of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit can use for their day of battle. 
So you're not stingy with what God has shared. You're now sharing it with someone else. And drop down to this. Verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. And anytime we talk about the word of God, this one will come up. I will meditate. But he adds to it, not forget. And so what both of these words together means is that I immerse, oh, you don't need that many eyes. I immerse myself in the word of God so that it becomes a conversation sprinkled through the day. You do not have to raise your hands because it's not about this. This is just one tactic. But I'm a, I'm a strong advocate of three by five cards. And if not three by five cards, something else that you will choose in its place. Because the three by five card is real portable. You can capture something. You spend, you spend your 10 minutes or your, or your 45 minutes or your two hours in the Word and then you recognize, Father, you are not okay with the conversation ending when I close the book, maybe close my notebook, and get up and go into my day. You're not okay with the conversation ending. So I want to capture some idea of what you've spoken to me, and now I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to ponder it through my day. In 30 seconds here, in a minute there, in two minutes, if you're not doing something like that, I would encourage you to figure out how to incorporate that into your walk with God. How do I bring the Word of God from my time in the Word, from a, from a Bible study at church or from my own Bible study in the morning or in the evening or at lunch or whenever you do it? How do I harvest some truth that I know I need to think about that more deeply? And now I'm going to carry it through my day in a practical way. So... I know this about me. I don't know it about you, but I suspect it about some of you. I can read the Bible. I can love what I'm reading. I can close it. And five minutes later, I can't remember what I read. I know that never happens to you, but it happens to me. But a three by five card means I don't have to remember it all. I captured one thing we're going to keep talking about. So I don't know what there is about human memory. Carrie and I can have a conversation, so I promise you it works on a lot of things. We have a conversation, and, and we agree on seven things. And then I walk away, and I remember two of those agreements. Unless I write it down. So there are times, I'm not kidding, there are times when Carrie says, well, you don't need to write that down. And I go, sweetheart, yes, I do. If we want me to remember it by tomorrow morning, I need to write it down. And so I do. And, and the Word of God is even more of a treasure than the, the things he's, he's speaking to me and that I'm agreeing on with him. Write them down. Figure out a way to do that in your life. I don't care what you use, three by five card, your iPad, your smartphone, uh, a chalkboard, a whiteboard in your kitchen. I don't care how you do it. But this was God's idea. This wasn't my idea. 
So when God talked to Israel, he says, now I know you guys, right after we talk about this amazing stuff, you're gonna forget what I said. So write it on your doorpost. Write it and put it on your wrist or your forehead. Put it physically into your environment so that you bump into it and you're reminded of what I said. That's God's idea. The three by five card is just a modern doorpost for me and the batteries never run out. So do what works for you. But I would encourage you, figure out your own, your own doorpost or your own wristlet, figure out what works for you to take the word of God so that you're pondering it, so that you're taking it apart. You're examining why it works and what it means in a very practical way. And again, this not forget means I don't have long periods where I'm going without your word. Frequently in counseling, very frequently in counseling, I will have believers who will talk about the fact that, you know, the, the word of God doesn't help me very much. And, and we'll explore it, and very often they'll say, well, you know, I, I read it. When's the last time you read it? Well, you know, we did that Bible study last summer, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating or kidding. Believers that are discouraged and struggling who have not literally opened the word of God in days or weeks and sometimes months and wonder why it's not helping them. So this, the word of God is not geography. How many people know what the Austin, already answered. The capital of Texas is? <laughs> You do not have to study that every day to keep remembering that Austin is the capital of Texas. If you do, we need to talk. <laughs> it's just background knowledge. Scripture is not background knowledge for our spiritual growth. I have to put it front and center today. And even if, if there's a lot of background knowledge of Scripture, if it's going to grow me, I have to pull it forward and put it in front of me and ponder it with God. Have a, a father-son, father-daughter conversation with God. And I think a lot of times as Christians, and I know I do this too, uh, particularly if I'm sitting in, in another service and someone else is preaching. Ooh, this is a horrible confession, but I'll, I'll say it. They start to read a passage, and I go, I'm pretty familiar with that passage. And a part of my brain stops listening. I know that stuff. That is evil because it robs me of something that God might be wanting to teach and share and encourage and strengthen in me because it's not about background knowledge. Oh yeah, I, I've studied Ephesians 4,000 times. Don't need to hear it again. Yes, I do. Because now I need to hear how does the Holy Spirit want to apply it to my life right now? How does he want me to grow with it right now? So I have heard other believers say the same thing, so I know I'm not alone, but have said, you know what, I've heard that passage. I already know what's there. That's not the point. But Austin will be the capital of Texas, as, you know, until Jesus returns. And I still need this knowledge freshly put in front of me to ponder it and apply it. Now, 
We talked about this last week, but I'm gonna pull this forward again in verse 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. So I'm gonna say this one more time because I think I'm supposed to. That we droid. Thank you, that's a good word. <laughs> To rejoice in means celebration. And this takes time, this takes thought, this takes energy. So if I read a passage of scripture and I recognize, Father, I'm gonna learn this, I'm gonna be teachable, I wanna walk in this, that God will go, I love that. Could you pause a moment and just celebrate what I taught you? Could you stop? And in your heart of hearts, could you jump up and down with joy over the majesty of what I'm speaking to you? Could you envision with me that this is moving you further and further into the likeness of Christ and that you so love that outcome that you celebrate it? That you actually envision your transformation into the likeness of Christ as such a worthy goal that it's worth celebrating? That is not a natural way of thinking. That even if I believe what I'm reading and I read that and hear that, the natural way of thinking is to go, okay, well, I'm glad that's true. And then I'm done. I'm glad that's true. And that can be a very genuine thought. I am glad that's true. So my daughter just got married a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago in the middle of a nice room. And if, it, if at the end of that ceremony, we had all stood up and said, well, I'm glad that's done. She would have felt like, aren't you gonna celebrate this with me? Aren't you gonna jump up and down with some delight over what we got accomplished here today? And so if you could have been in that room with power going out and the temperature going down, there still would have been celebration in that room. That friends and family were delighted in celebrating what God accomplished. And you and I have been wedded to Christ for eternity. That's worth celebrating beyond simply just being glad that it's true. That we pause and, and we envision with God. One thing that was, was hitting me this morning as I was praying for today was how important it is that every now and then you and I pause, whether we're reading the Word of God, whether we're teaching the Word of God, whether we're sharing it, whether we're doing it alone by ourselves, is that every now and then we would pause and we go, Father, what's your heart toward this? What's your heart toward me? What's your heart toward the ones I'm teaching? What's your heart? And, and the heart of God will never be, well, I just got some stuff I gotta teach, that's all. I just got some stuff I want to make sure they know. That the heart of the Father is celebration over what he's seeking to accomplish in our life. That there is joy for him. It's personal for him that you and I learn these things and that the Word of God becomes a treasure that we store up and that changes how we see the universe. You know, as, as Fran shared this morning, and I, and I really hope all of you were praying about this and, and considering again, for yourself, how you let your voice be heard for some of the things that are happening in our nation. But we better keep this because Kim prayed this also. That we're not doing that in fear, 
as if evil has beat Jesus. We're doing that with a sense of defeat, as if for a few years, maybe God left the planet. That just as we sang, we're able to sing to his majesty and his triumph right in the middle of the darkness. Right in the middle of the night, we still know what we celebrate and what we enjoy and, and what the triumph is really about. And we happen to live in a country where, at least for a little while longer, our voice is supposedly able to be heard and might have an impact. And we should use that voice. We should use that voice. But never because we're afraid that evil has triumphed over Jesus Christ. So it's wisdom, it's involvement, but it's never fear, it's never hopelessness, it's never defeat. And the more immersed we are in the Word of God, you know, I know you guys are studying Revelation, uh, the more immersed you are in the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and the book of Matthew and, and Thessalonians and a whole bunch of passages that point to the end of time. And even though it is often said facetious, facetiously, that's a good word, facetiously, <laughs> store that one up for me, dude. That even though it's said facetiously sometimes, it's still true. It's like, oh, I went and read to the end of the book. I know how this goes. I know how it ends. And God's saying, please take that seriously. Please don't say that flippantly. Celebrate that you know how this ends. And there's absolutely nothing that Satan and all his forces can do to prevent that triumphant ending. And you and I belong to the triumphant ending just because we are in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, there are so many things in this book that we cannot harvest right now in terms of time, but there's so much we can harvest. And Father, I thank you that as we seek to walk and observe and keep what you've taught us, to be diligent doers of the word, as we seek to remind and encourage one another of these truths, to share with each other the word at the right moment. And Father, as we seek to celebrate, to grow in being teachable and learnable, but pausing to really celebrate what you're teaching. Father, help us to understand the treasure of what we have. More and more and more. Father, I pray for every single believer in this room that in the week ahead, there would be moments of deeper treasuring and deeper celebrating because we're choosing to comprehend what's going on. The God of the universe who loves me is speaking to me because he loves me. The God of the universe has spoken dependably and his truth can make my way prosperous. And Father, not prospered in the ways of the world, Prosperous in spiritual gain, prosperous in eternal gain, prosperous in victory against the enemy. Help us to choose these things in the week ahead, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.